Hello, and welcome to College Planning Simplified. I'm your host, Arielle Villanueva from Advantage College Planning. More than ever, people are looking for guidance to navigate through the college admissions process. On this show, I sit down with admissions reps and consultants to discuss the ideas, the opportunities, and the strategies to take advantage of so you can simplify college planning. In this episode of College Planning Simplified, I chat with Lauren Carter about students' self-discovery, advice for activities lists, and strategies for interviews, plus much more. Lauren has dedicated 35 years to college admissions and college counseling. She served as the director of college admissions at NYU and a contributing writer for the Huffington Post and is also an instructor for the UCLA Extension College Counseling Certificate Program. Lorraine currently serves as director of college counseling at an independent school in Washington, D.C., and is also the Amazon bestselling author of a book that our team has read, Mindful Admissions, An Insider's Guide to Staying Sane, Applying Well, and Getting Accepted to College. Thank you so much for joining us today, Lauren. Oh, I'm thrilled to be here. This is going to be really fun, and um, this is a great time of year right now to have these questions. We're getting this, you know, shuffling of things happening, right? Our seniors are now moving on to their colleges that they chose from this past cycle. And our new classes are coming in. So students are stepping into this rising senior role. um, And we're really finding this encouragement stage of our ninth and 10th graders. So I have a few questions that are kind of geared towards um, our students for this upcoming year. So when you're thinking about encouraging ninth and 10th graders, how do you share with them to lean into this idea of self-discovery and reflection and awareness? I, first of all, have to say, I really love this question because I have such an affinity to, for rising ninth and 10th graders especially ninth graders. You know, when I think about ninth graders and I really do encourage parents to also lean in to what their their teens are experiencing. You know, I often describe ninth graders as a stranger in a strange land. You know, they're maybe going into a brand new building. They have a brand new schedule. They're trying to figure out their lockers. You know, they have more students around them and they are now the youngest. And maybe they are coming from a middle school where they were, you know, the the leaders of the school and they were the oldest and they were kind of, you know, ruling the hallways. Now they are scrambling. So the first thing I always advise parents to do is to really first lean into the world of their teenager. And I think that there's so many ways for them to do that. And in doing so, this is a great opportunity to connect, support, encourage your teen. And it's, you know, in some ways, it's kind of like dropping the breadcrumbs to help them to, you know, to keep moving forward and to keep progressing and and stretching themselves. So I definitely will say that when, um, you know, when I think about parents in encouraging their ninth graders, I will first say that I do think of ninth grade, and I talk about this in the book, I say, I define ninth grade as the discovery year. And Mm -hmm. 10th grade is the growth year, right? 
And I think that, and I'm giving advice of things that I have done myself and by no means am I perfect, but I have, these are kind of some tried and true. I won't share the the flops, right? I'll share the things that did work. Um, You know, one thing that was really helpful for me when I was, and I'm the mama of three teenagers. And one thing that was really helpful was to, first of all, during all that is changing in the lives of especially ninth graders, and 10th graders are what I affectionately call the the middle children of high school, so they're often forgotten. So mm-hmm. I do think we have to love up these ninth and 10th graders. But one thing I will first say is for parents to do two things. One is to sustain those tried and true family, you know, um, traditions or the stability that has been a part of your family life. First of all, with all the changes going on, really keep those intact. And that could be family dinners. That could be my family and I, we go for family walks after dinner where we all walk the dog and we connect, you know, really keeping those in play, regardless of how busy everyone is, right? So I think that there's an importance in having consistency in the lives of your teens because their lives are ever shifting. I also think that it's great to model behaviors and model experiences for your teens so that they know it's okay that they haven't figured it all out. I often would, you know, during those family dinners, I would say, gosh, you know, I did a presentation, it was a flop or, you know, something that didn't go well that day. I think it was, it's important for, for me, for my teens to know, I don't have it all figured out. I am not perfect, you know, and for them to see that sometimes I have to brush myself off get up, do it again. So I think modeling is huge. Another thing I I think is really important is to really elevate that level of trust that you have with your team. Elevate it tenfold when they go into ninth and 10th grade, because I think it's so important that they know you are a safe harbor. Regardless of what happens, regardless if they make a bad decision, regardless if, you know, their friendship doesn't work out, regardless of whatever happens, they they didn't study for the, the test and then they, you know, the consequences, they had a lower grade than they expected. Regardless, elevate that level of trust so that they know that you will always be in their corner. And I think when that is, those things are all kind of put in synergy, right? You drop the breadcrumbs, you keep the family traditions, you really help them to see that you're a supporter, then it also does really open them up to really hearing you instead of just, you know, listening, they're really hearing it. Right. Right. And I will say to parents that, you know, lean into the fact that no one knows your child better than you. And, and there are ways that you can lovingly, you know, offer the suggestion, you can lovingly engage in a conversation where you, you share an idea with them. And, you know, I think if it is where you are engaging with your team, where they are alongside you, instead of, you know, us talking at our teens, you know, if, if, we're, if we're engaging with them and they're alongside us, it's really miraculous, miraculous uh, to see how much of an impact we really can have in, in, in helping to elevate their experience. So I'm going to give a quick example. 
So uh, my oldest, who will remain nameless, my oldest uh, <laughs> is an extreme introvert. Okay. She, she's six one. Okay. We're we are a family of Amazons. We have these statuesque DNA. So <laughs> she, she's six one. She's built like an athlete. Uh, but she's an introvert and she is not competitive by nature uh, in regards to she's not going to drive it to the hoop in basketball. She's not going to spike the volleyball, you know, over the net. She's not going to do that. And when she went to high school, she was leaving a small private school and going to a large public school. And I thought the summer before her fall, her um, ninth grade year was a key time to get her connected with some other students, right? So my my children know that I, they're not children anymore, they're adults, young adults, but my kids know that summers to me, I want them to have fun. I want them to rest. I want them to sleep in. I want them to, you know, laugh and all of that. I also will say part of the summer should be some type of enrichment of their choosing. Mm -hmm. It could be going to the library. Let's, we always go to the library and get a whole bunch of books. Uh, as I love that. As we go into the summer and they can read, you know, Harry Potter, I don't care, you know, as long as they're reading and connecting. And I always will say they have to do something productive, right? And it does okay. not have to be, you know, uh, an eight week independent science research project. It could be literally, you know, it could be helping out the SPCA one day a week, you know, whatever. They have to figure it out. So when I had my, my rising ninth grader, my, you know, my tall introverted girl, I said to her, uh, you can have a choice for your, you know, I'm going to give you a choice uh, for what you're doing to be productive, which I usually don't do. I usually give it, you know, let them have a kind of free for all. So I said, you can, and I looked into it because I'd gone, met with the counselor of the public school. I definitely recommend that for parents. Talked to the counselor, you know, looked into some things, what's going on over the summer, things like that. So I said to her, okay, you can do summer PE which I know parents are thinking, what? No, it's really a good idea because it's a lot of those students who want to have a free later on. So it's students who are kind of getting it out of the way, but they're engaged in activity over the summer. And I said, or you could do, I found a local summer league that was a learn to row program. I said, or you can do this crew program. Okay. Yeah. And um, because in my mind, parents, I thought this girl is built to be a rower. And think about rowing. You get in the boat. You don't have to be extroverted. and, and you right, know, right. right. You don't have to drive it to the hoop and, you know, whatever. So she chose rowing. And it ended up being such an amazing experience, not just for her, but for our relationship. Because okay. I, didn't think, I didn't think this through, but who has to drive her to the boathouse at 6 a.m. but me, right? <laughs> so, you know, but this is what I will say. Every moment you have with your teen is an opportunity. So those early morning car rides became a favorite part of my day. You know, it was not, she was not slumped in the seat and, you know, we were sitting there and saw, no, we had a playlist. We had a pump up playlist. We were like, how to get her hyped up, you know? 
and, and get her awake. We would talk about what happened on the water when I picked her up. You know, that became a sacred time for us. So I also will say, you know, look for those sacred moments because every moment is impactful. And here we go. My daughter ended up rowing for four years. She's rowing in college. You know, I don't say I knew it. I won't say that to anyone but you guys. But it is to say <laughs> we do know our kids. And sometimes we can also gingerly and lovingly lead them there. Um, so I definitely will say that, but, you know, as I'm, um, you know, kind of, you know, I want to wrap up this question, but, uh, this could be a whole podcast. I just want you to know, um, I will say that, you know, what I'm trying to say is to really, you know, look for those activities that, you know, your teen might really connect with so that you can encourage them. I also will say you have partners in crime and that would be the school counselor, you know, the mm -hmm. teachers at the school, you know, really partner with people at the school, go to the back to school nights, you know, um, connect with the school counselor, reach out to the school counselor. It doesn't have to be because there's a problem. You can reach out and say, hey, I want to check in on, you know, this year, how this year is going for my, you know, my daughter. I would love for you to check in with her. I did all that behind the scenes, right? I also talked with the teachers during the back to school night, developed a relationship. And I will tell you in a school that was a huge public school, they started looking out for my children. They started mm -hmm. encouraging them, you know, for my introvert, they um, encouraged her to be a writing tutor. They encouraged her to be a peer mentor to students with special needs, like all these opportunities that really were so enriching and wonderful that did not come from me, her mama, but it was a group effort and it's a community. And so that was where, you know, I had other advocates for her and I had other partners that I'd build relationships with. And, you know, we all were looking out for the betterment of my teens. So that is my long way of saying, I think there's so many wonderful, you know, enriching um, opportunities and you just have to, you know, you just have to lean in yourself first before your team will lean in. Mm, that yeah. is powerful. That, yeah. that is great. And I, I'm thinking about, right, it was, it was helpful to hear kind of you walk through each of these things, right? You're talking about the stability yeah. that you're providing for your family at that time when they're in such a big transition, modeling your experiences and what that might look like in a work sense or how you're doing personally. Um, I even think to like elevating trust, right. was a really neat idea to think um, through. And even in those moments too, when you're getting up for rowing practice, right. She knows that she can trust that you're going to drive her there, but you're also having an opportunity to connect and have fun. Um, so, so that was really great. We talked a little bit about like activities and impact. Um, when we're talking with families often about the impact of COVID and them not having the opportunity to, you know, fill up their list of activities, um, how do you, you know, chat with parents or what advice do you have for parents? Yeah, I mean, this is such an important topic because clearly COVID really did shake everything up for all of us. And our, our teens were so, many of them adversely affected that I really do try to spend some time with parents to unpack this. If a parent comes to me and they're concerned 
I first really want to meet them where they are to, in some ways, dispel that concern, right? That their child does not have to, in any way, be a checkboxer, right? And I think, in some ways, I try to first lead the parent to really have that understanding of how traumatic COVID has been on our children, and that this really has become a a mental health issue. It's a mental right. health, it's a mental health crisis. And if if we really think about it, if our child was in trauma, right? Because COVID is trauma. So if our child is in trauma, would we expect them to be, you know, um, you know, out there holding a part-time job and volunteering and doing three, being a three-sport athlete and, you know, being president of four clubs? Would we really would we really be focusing, you know, our our efforts on that, or would we really be trying to support our children? And so I think the first thing is really to think about how can we meet our kids where they are and really have an understanding of not only what support they need, but what can we do to help them to have a life that starts resembling some sort of normalcy, right? So mm-hmm. that's going to, and that's going to take time. It's not a light switch. And it's also, I think, important to know that life is going to look different because it is different. And that that is okay. And sometimes I have to say that to parents to say, I do have many conversations with the co- with college admissions officers you know and they will all frequently reassure me to reassure my parents that they do understand and they are sympathetic to the lives of teenagers and how much they have lost and they don't expect that the student has replaced that right i will also say that i feel in, in many of the life lessons that we all have gathered from COVID, I feel that one thing that is so important is for us to also help our children to learn those life lessons that is really about, you know, quality over quantity, right? It really is about mm. what is enriching, what do, brings them joy. That is such a huge thing. What is going to bring them joy? And that is what really the basis of everything is so important because if we push our children to, you know, fill up their days and, you know, and uh, replace all the things that we feel might have been lost over COVID and double up on the activities and all of that, there could very well be a breaking point. And there could very well be a situation which we don't want to have where then they're not able to concentrate in their classes. They're not able to mm-hmm. really connect with their peers. Like they really could take a step back. So I definitely say, you know, we should absolutely give our children some grace. We absolutely should look at this lens very differently because the colleges look at it very differently. Um, you know, I have, you know, a daughter, my second daughter who was very active in school and, you know, she was part of student government and was a leader at the school and and a mentor and all these things. And COVID happened and she really started to develop this love of drawing and creativity and writing. And, you know, is that an organized, you know, club or sport or something? No. But what I will tell you is 
it has really helped her to reconnect. It has helped her to, you know, build that resilience within herself. It has helped her to release, you know, many of the different emotions that she's thinking. And, you know, when it comes to the college process, there are many ways to also share that that is what she's doing. So I don't right. want to also think that non-traditional involvements or activities or just how students spend their time is not going to be able to be shared with the colleges. I'll tell you, you know, now in, you know, just if we fast forward to looking at college applications and, you know, how do you list certain things, you know, students are now listing more than ever family responsibilities they're putting on mm -hmm. there, you know, because that is how they're spending their time. And I will tell you directly from the colleges, they appreciate the maturity, the commitment, you know, the stamina, the wherewithal the students have to have to lean into those family responsibilities. So I say to parents that life looks different. The colleges understand that it looks different. So I always want to, you know, reassure them of that. But then I also want to go back and just shed the light on their teen and say, what is going to fill up your teen? What does that look mm -hmm. like? You know, so that we can really think about how do we individually support that one teen because there is not a, you know, a one size fits all. And, you know, I think it's, it's so important to honor who they are and in how they're showing up in the world. Yeah, and, and lean into like the concern first and, and supporting yes. them. Yeah, um, absolutely. And is, it's kind of like, so great. Yeah, it's kind of like giving parents permission to say life yeah. looks different. Life looks different and that's, that's, that's okay. It's okay. People understand it. Everyone understands that it looks different and the colleges understand that it looks different. Yeah, it's neat to hear too about your daughter um, finding this, you know, love and, and sparking that joy um, in something that, you know, most parents would be like, wait, what? You put that on an activity list? And we, we chat a lot about activity lists with our families and especially in time during COVID when, you know, kids were doing a bunch of things that were really neat and cool. I have a student who um, created and manages actually a discord page, which is basically, um, you know, like a platform and a community that, that they actually manage for a bunch of people. And I was like, that's really neat. Like, that's something that you do. You should put it on your activity list. Yes. That's so cool. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Another yeah. thing along with the admissions process when it comes time to fill out the application sometimes are interviews so what strategies do you recommend for students to help prepare for interviews yeah interviews are such a great opportunity they are like this little hidden gem right because you you don't have the opportunity to interview at every school right so when when colleges offer interviews i do see it as an opportunity for students to really become a person in the process, you know, there's someone mm -hmm. in admissions who has met them, even if it is a senior interviewer, if it's an alumni interviewer, it can be a scholarship interview. The first, there are so many different types of interviews, but in any and all situations, it's such a great time for a student to become three-dimensional for an admissions committee. So when I'm talking to my students, I have a couple things, a couple tips that I give them. Um, in regards to admissions interviews, 
First and foremost, I absolutely say to them, we're, we're not going to keep using the word interview because that can sound intimidating. I want you to think of it as an admissions conversation. So we're going to talk about, you know, preparing you for an admissions conversation. And I have my, my, my tip that I call my three groups of three. So I'll share it with you. My three groups of three, I share with students and I say, if you have prepared your three groups of three, you are ready for any type of admissions conversation. Okay. So the first group of three is for a student to prepare what they want to share in terms of three aspects of themselves that they feel is important for an admissions committee to know. And the three aspects are going to be their academic self, their community self, and their personal self. And I talk about this a lot. It's in the book a lot. I talk about it a lot. Those three pockets, academic, community, personal. It's this this magical triad. So in their academic self, I will um, unpack it with them. What do we want to share? What do you want to share in a missions conversation about who you are as a learner, right? And this does not have to be they know their major, they've figured out the meaning of life, they've done, you know, independent science research, they've done, no, it could, it simply be what are their academic interests right now, it could be academic talents, it could be what coursework do they enjoy in high school, which doesn't even mean that it's connected to a major, but it's what is that academic story today, and I often will say to students, you don't have to have it all figured out for the next four years, you are sharing with an admissions officer who you are today. So we get together like that academic story, right? Then I will have them think about their community self. And that could be what brings them joy, right? In terms of involvements, activities, it could be clubs, it could be sports, it could be in the community where they reside, it could be community engagements. It could be anything about that. Just who are they as a member of a community? So they think about that part. And then the last is going to be their personal story or who are they in terms of their personal self. And that's always fun to talk about with students because sometimes it could be about their upbringing. It could be they're an only child. They're one of five children. They've always been raised in a city. They have certain hobbies. They, you know, it's the personal aspect is really fun because that does help them come to life. So that's my first group of three. The second group of three is going to be three reasons why they're looking at that particular college. And of course, it's in the three categories that you can imagine, right? Why are they looking at that college (laughs) academically? Why are they looking at that college in terms of a community fit? And why is that college a personal fit? Because we know that the college is going to say, why are you, why are you looking at our school? And they don't want to hear because I was headed north on 95 and my mom made me, you know, stop here. So (laughs) that's where I say to them, really do some research and some investigation. And clearly with all that is available online, they can really look at the academic fit, what draws them to that academic community, what draws them in terms of maybe specific involvements or activities, or, you know, what does that community hold that is attracting them? And then the personal fit. And the personal fit could really be that they love the the urban location, and they love that that college uses the city as an extension of the classroom, or that they have, um, you know, nearby many different um, cultural events, or artistic events, or whatever it is. So you look at the personal fit, too. So that's the second group of three. The third group of three is I say, have three questions prepared. And 
Um, I joke with students, I'll say, it doesn't mean that you necessarily have to ask all three. You could, but it's because I have to have three groups of three. So you're preparing three questions, okay? So um, <laughs> I also will say to them, it's good to have three questions prepared because you may have one or two questions that are answered in the discussion. And I always feel that it is, it's, it's kind of, I don't know if it's a psychological, like, mind game or something. But when I was interviewing students, when I worked in admissions, and we're, you know, we're wrapping up the interview and I say, you know, do you have any questions for me? And they're, nope, I'm all set. So, you know, they're yeah. getting up from the chair, right? Yep, nope, I'm all set. Let me go out there in the lobby, get my mom. But when they would say, actually, I have one question I'd like to ask you. I also felt that they were sending me kind of that message of I'm engaged. I'm, mm -hmm. I, I want to learn. I want to connect. I want to, you know, leave this conversation and really have learned more about the school. So I say, always ask at least one question. And so I say the same thing. It could be an academic question. It could be a community question. I say that with the questions, the questions should absolutely connect to the student in some way and reflect what they're interested in, what they hope to be involved with, things like that. So if a student, for example, said, you know, I would love to know if there are any you know, internships in the area of finance, you know, um, you know, in terms of international internships, then they're, they're sending the message, right? They're interested in business, they're interested in study abroad, you know, so that's something that maybe is going to be more meaningful for that student to ask versus how many volumes are in the library or something random, which does not really align with anything, right? So that could be something where I have a student, you know, work on those three different um, questions. So those are my three groups of three. I say to students, I feel like if you have those kind of in your arsenal, you're not scripted, you just have them at the ready. So when the admissions officer says, tell me a little bit about your life outside of school, what do you enjoy doing? You're ready. When they say, why are you looking at our school? You're ready. Right. So they kind of have that ready to go. And then I say, and then it's not a missed opportunity where you say, gosh, I left. I think I blanked out. I don't even remember what I said. You know, <laughs> I, forgot, I forgot to tell them about theater and how important it is to me because we didn't have it at the ready. Uh, last thing I'll say to students, I will say to them that, you know, a little, you know, a little tip I'll give them because some students are nervous about an interview. I will say my little tip is if they're nervous, I will say interview at a school where you will not apply and do that first. So mm -hmm. you've interviewed a school and it kind of is a warm up. You're not telling them that they're your practice interview, but you could interview. Maybe it's a, it's a school near where the student resides. You know, they could set up the interview, go and have it. So the student feels like they have more fluidity and how they have that conversation. And I also will say to students, if you have a favorite school and it does offer an interview, interview there last, right? So you've kind of worked your way up. You've worked your way yeah. up to the last place where you really will probably have the strongest presentation because you've kind of gone through a few interviews. So I also will say, save that, that favorite quote unquote school if they have one uh, to interview last because then they'll, they'll definitely be a pro at it by the end. And that is some great advice. Like stay ready so you don't have to get ready and then practice. So yes. using using the other ones as a practice. That is that is really phenomenal. Thank you for sharing that. Oh, okay, last question. Yes. It's a fun one. So if you could wave your magic wand, oh. what would you totally change about admissions? 
Oh my gosh. I, I do want a magic wand, so I hope I can get one. I yes. will, um, gosh, I'll say a couple things. I would say if I could wave my magic wand, first and foremost, I would love to decrease the level of, of stress and angst that students feel in the college process. And maybe that is making sure they have support in place, that they have good guidance and, um, you know, that they have good counsel, um, yeah. you know, that there's equity and access for all students to kind of have that type of expertise in their corner. If I, if I could wave a magic wand, I probably would completely remove testing from any admissions criteria to, again, alleviate the stress and anxiety to also offer um, access and equity for, for all students. And um, I, I definitely would, um, you know, I would remove early decision as an option for any student at any school. Uh, because I think as we're talking about the unpredictability of schools and, and admissions processes and, and all of that, you know, we also understand that we're seeing in this landscape that colleges might be filling 50, 60, 65 mm -hmm. of their classes through this binding early decision. And I have many students who feel pressured to apply with a binding early decision whether or not they're ready, because they feel if they don't, they are going to lose their shot of being admitted. And the fact remains that they're probably right in a lot of instances. Yeah. And, and I never, ever want a student to apply early decision when it's not the right decision for them to do. It's not the right path. I do think that students and families do feel the pressure to that. So I would love for there to only be non-binding early action, rolling schools, you know, things like that, that students can apply to. There's no commitment. They have the time throughout their senior year, even to really, you know, fall further, um, you know, connected with the school to really see about fit. So, um, you know, I definitely wish I had a magic wand. I wish I could wave it a little bit. Um, I will say that's why we do what we do, right? Because we, yeah. <laughs> we, because we don't have the magic wand, so we want to really offer the supports for students and families so that they feel in control as much as possible. They feel that they're grounded, that they're standing on solid footing in this process. They're feeling seen. I think that's mm -hmm. really important that they feel seen and supported, and that they have someone who is really going to tell them it's it's going to be okay. You know, yeah. however, however that looks, however that looks, it's going to be okay. And, uh, and sometimes I will, you know, say that on repeat to my, my students, I'll say, we don't know what it's going to look like. It's going to be okay. Right. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we have a plan and we're going to work the plan. And um, I often will say too, um, you know, I wish that my students in some ways had kind of that tunnel vision. I'll say to them, you know, you know, comparison is the thief of joy, right? So don't right. look to the left, don't look to the right, stay in your lane, stay on your path, you know, um, don't compare yourself to anyone else. You know, we're really going to lean into what's going to be best for you. So um, definitely want to keep that first and foremost for everyone. What a great way to end. Just like full circle, lean into yourself and acknowledge um, that this process is, is difficult, but you can do it and it will be okay. So, um, 
I really appreciated that coming back to a close. That was really nice. Um, thank you so much, Lauren. You have been a phenomenal guest and I appreciate all of your insight and wisdom. I appreciate you taking the time and also very much loved your book. So um, thank you for that. Oh, thank you. Onward and upward, right? Yes. <laughs> well, I hope that you have a great rest of your day. Thank you. You too. Well, that brings us to the end of our episode with Lorraine Carter. It was awesome to hear her talk about like elevating trust with students, engaging with them, and just an opportunity to really get your know your teen. She also talked about the support and building a roadmap for this college search process. I really enjoyed her three groups of three conversation, so I hope that you liked that too. And as always, thanks for listening to College Planning Simplified with Advantage College Planning. 